Several weeks ago, Dr. Getch emailed me and asked me if I would preach this morning specifically on the subject of success. So I don't know what you think of when you think of Scripture and success, but what I think of is Joshua chapter 1. So take your Bible, if you will, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 1. We'll look at that in just a minute, though. I have to tell you, I've been around this campus long enough to know that this time of year, success to you has nothing to do with grades. Success has nothing to do with projects or finances or really anything to do with school. For this student body, success right now is all focused on one thing, Sadie Hawkins. <laughs> it's coming. It is coming. Now, students, I want to give you some advice. When I think of Sadie Hawkins, two verses come to my mind. The first is this one. He that findeth a wife, findeth, a you finish it, a good thing. Ladies, it's true. Guys, let's see what happens here. This is your opportunity to watch and to learn and to see where God takes you. You find a wife, you find a good thing. But then, fellas, I have to tell you, there's another verse that comes to my mind, too. And this is maybe more for you. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil. And hideth himself. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, guys, listen to me. If one of these ladies takes the effort and for whatever reason decides to ask you to say these, you need to say yes. You better have a really, really good reason to tell a lady no. Listen to me. You've got two options if a lady asks you to say these. One, say yes, be a gentleman, make a good memory. Two, say no and be prepared to be single the rest of your college experience because that's what you deserve, all right? If they're gonna ask you to Sadie's, you go and you have a good time. So there's success, that's my little word of advice on what you're most focused on this morning. <laughs> success with Sadie Hawkins. Listen, let me tell you something. I love the student body, I really do. My wife and I um, graduated several years ago when we, we formed a habit as I was working for Dr. Aris's assistant on Sunday nights to sit over near him and I sit down here in the front left most every Sunday night and several weeks ago, we had a longer Sunday afternoon, and we had hosted some guests, and then we ran to a counseling appointment that we thought would take about 60 minutes. It wound up taking a little over three hours. And it was a good afternoon. It was great, but we were a little late, got a couple things done, came into the service right about 4.55, 4.58, came down here to our seats, and they were taken. Gotta love when people steal your Sunday night seats, and you're coming in late, right? And so we began to move back. We moved farther and farther back over here. We couldn't find any seats, so we wound up in the balcony right up here just a couple weeks ago. Some of you were sitting there. And after service, I looked at my wife and I said, Dana, we've got to be up here more often because these people, these are my people. I love the student body. You guys are amazing. I was telling Dr. Shetler at lunch yesterday, some of the greatest Christians that I know in my life right now are students in this student body. I absolutely respect you and it's an honor of my life to serve you. Thanks for letting me be a part. I have a love-hate relationship with graduation. I used to love it, but the longer I'm here, the more I hate it. Because these students that we love and these students that we recruit and these students that we serve and these students that we train, you know what they do? They leave. <laughs> and it's kind of a bummer. And we pray that as you pursue the plan that God has put into your life and you pursue God's calling, we wish you the best. And we pray that you'll find success. We pray that you will find good, true success. But I have to tell you this morning, not all success is good success. Do you know that? There is a form of success that is no success at all. Solomon said, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. What doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
it is entirely possible for you, even as a Christian, to spend your entire life passionately pursuing something and get to the end and realize you missed the whole thing. You missed the whole point. Not all success is created equal. I think of uh, the story captured in the Gospels where some will come to God one day and they'll say, Lord, we've done amazing things in your name. We've given a lot for you. We've done all kinds of stuff in your name. You know what God says to them? I never knew you. You missed the whole point, man. You are totally off base here. And as the curtain opens on Joshua chapter 1, we see what is frankly a fairly familiar scene. What is occurring in this chapter is no surprise to Joshua. It's no surprise to you. And honestly, it was no surprise to the children of Israel. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. We see this book unfolding in a scene that we all knew was coming. Years earlier in the story captured for us in Numbers chapter 27, God had made absolutely clear that the time was going to come when Moses would die. And it would be Joshua's turn to take the mantle. And God had commanded Moses to pull Joshua aside and to put him before the people and to explain to them what was going to happen. In fact, the Bible says that it was Moses' responsibility to pass some of his honor to Joshua. This time was predicted. This time was coming. Joshua had a call on his life. He could look back on his life. He knew this moment was going to come. Many of you can look back to a moment in your life where God put an absolute clear call on you and your future. You can think back to a youth conference or a service or a time in the scripture or maybe a chapel sermon here when God said, this is what I have for your life. There's going to come a time when you're going to fulfill a purpose for me. There's a specific plan that I have for you and you've got to chase it. And the truth of the matter is Joshua knew this was coming. Moses, we talk about Moses often. He was a wonderful man. He was a great man. He was a man that God had used in an amazing way. This was Moses. Moses, who was born a slave, but miraculously, excuse me, Moses, who was born, yeah, of slaves, but miraculously saved. He was supposed to be dead by Pharaoh's command, but God saved him. Yet he was raised in Pharaoh's home, and he came to a point where he said, God, I don't want this. I want you. And he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy those pleasures of sin for a season. He chose to chase God. And then God took him out in the desert and God prepared him. This is Moses who talked to a God in a burning bush, that story you learned in first grade, right? This is that Moses. He had talked to God in a burning bush. This is the Moses who had gone back into Egypt and stood before Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go. This is Moses who had turned the water into blood with God's power. This is Moses who had brought all kinds of plagues on the land of Egypt. This is Moses who had parted the Red Sea. This is Moses who had led them out of slavery and out towards God's promised land. This is Moses who had stood on Mount Sinai as God gave the Ten Commandments twice. This is Moses who had seen God. This is Moses' full complexion shone because he had seen God in a way that no one else had and he had to hide his face from people. This is that Moses, a great man, a man that God had used in an amazing way. And the time came that God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. His time was over. The truth matter is the Dr. Getches, the Dr. Rasmussen's, the Dr. Shetler's, the Pastor Chapels, those people that we look to, those people that I came to this college to study from a decade ago, these great men of God that God has used in an incredible way, their time will come to an end. And the mantle of responsibility is going to transition from them to you. This idea might intimidate you, but it doesn't intimidate God. 
God's already thought this through. God's already had a plan. God's already come up with an answer. You know what his answer is? You're his answer. You're who God has. God has a plan for your life. There's no question this morning of whether or not there's a place for you in God's work. There's no question this morning of whether or not God wants to do something through you. The only question this morning is, will you be successful? Will you be a spiritual success? In preparation for that time, we're going to look at this conversation that God has with Joshua. And we're going to discover that, Josh, that God laid out to Joshua a fairly simple formula for success. It's pretty straightforward. We're going to take a few minutes to look at this conversation and break that apart and find the components that God has built in God's formula for success. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for these students. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word with them this morning. God, I do pray that you help them to hear your word. I do pray that you help me to speak clearly and um, concisely. God, guide me and your sons in my pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, God begins to give Joshua some really practical instruction. And here's the first component in God's formula for success. You ready? It's going to blow your mind. You need to have an absolute commitment to Scripture. An absolute commitment to Scripture. Look at verse 7. God's talking to Joshua and he says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. In studying this passage, I found it interesting. A lot of Bible scholars believe that this is referring specifically to the book of Deuteronomy. That might be the case. I don't know. To me, that seems maybe just a little bit narrow. What we do know is that God used Moses to capture a lot of what we would call the Pentateuch, the first five books of Scripture. God had used Moses to write those out. That means that at this point, there is written Scripture available to Joshua. This reminds me of two stories told in Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 is an interesting passage. It lays out two different events in this journey for the children of Israel as they're pursuing God into the promised land. The first is fairly well known. And that is the Jewish people, <laughs> the Jewish people get mad at God and they get thirsty and they get upset because there's no water and they can't satisfy their thirst. And so what do they start to do? They start to complain and they start to murmur and they start to go against God. Well, God, why have you done this? And, and Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt, man? We had plenty of food there. We had all kinds of supplies there. Why did you bring us out here to kill us? And the Bible says they begin to chide Moses. They begin to get on Moses' case so much that Moses comes to God and says, God, you better do something or they're going to kill me. They're so mad at me right now. They're so upset at me right now. God, you better do something miraculous. It's on you, God. And so God says, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Moses. There's a rock in Horeb and I'm going to go stand on it. And you need to come to that rock and you need to smack that rock. And when you smite the rock, I'll provide water for everybody. And that's exactly what happens. Kind of an amazing story. And right after that, God has this amazing provision in the desert, in the wilderness, this guy named Amalek shows up in a place called Rephidim. And you know what he does? He picks a fight with the children of Israel. He attacks them. And Moses turns to Joshua and says, hey, Joshua, you better go put together an army. You better go choose yourself out some men because tomorrow you're going to have to fight. Here's what's going to happen, Joshua. This is an amazing plan. Joshua, you're going to go fight, and I'm going to go up on a hill. And I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to take the rod of God. And what's going to happen is when I hold that rod up, you'll win, and if it falls, you'll lose. And somewhere along the line, somebody had a bright idea that maybe some people should go with Moses and help him. And so Aaron and Hur go with Moses up to the top of the hill, and you know the story. They sit him on a rock, and they hold his hands up, and his hands are up to the going down of the sun, and Joshua and the people of Israel win a great battle against the Amalekites. But listen to the end of this story in Exodus chapter 17, verse 13. 
The Bible says Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Seems like a nice way to say it, doesn't it? Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. Catch this now and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Here's what God says, Moses, there's going to come a time when Joshua is going to need to remember what happened today. There's going to come a time when Joshua needs to remember that I am the God who defeated the Amalekites. I am the God who can provide water from a rock. Joshua needs to remember who I am. Joshua's going to need to come back to this moment. Joshua's going to need to understand my promises and who I am and the nature that I am and the friend that I am. Joshua's going to need to remember this, so you make sure you write it down in a book. Make sure that he's got this available. And then he comes to Joshua, and you know what he says to Joshua? Hey, Joshua, you want to be successful? You're going to be successful. I promise you, you'll have a prosperous way. I promise you, you'll find good success. Here's where it starts. Get in the book. You need to understand what I have left for you. You need to delight yourself in the law of God. And here's what I'm going to tell you, students. You will never find spiritual success until you understand that you must have an absolute commitment to Scripture. All through Scripture, you find that people who did amazing things for God had high esteem for the Word of God. Think of a guy like David, a man after God's own heart, a man who did amazing things. Here's what David had to say about Scripture. Oh, how I love thy law. Let me ask you a question. Can you say that? Do you love God's law? And I'm not saying, can you tell Jesse that? Here's what I'm saying. Can you look to God and say, God, I love your laws. I love your word. I love your truth. It is the love of my life. David said, oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. David said, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Thy testimonies are my delight and my counselors. Does that describe your life? Do you delight in God's scripture? Do you delight in God's precepts? Do you delight in God's truth? Is it a joy for you to open the Bible in the morning? Do you love it? Are you committed to it? You take this all the way through to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and you see God's uh, command to Timothy through Paul where he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, because you're rightly dividing the word of truth. You know how you can avoid shame? Study God's word. Know God's word. Be absolutely committed to God's word. Why? What's the big deal about God's word? Maybe it's found a little bit later in 2 Timothy, where Paul says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. For what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, may be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. This word furnished, it's interesting. I think sometimes when you, uh, I, I think of sometimes when you rent an apartment, you rent a house or something, you have some options. You can either take it as it is or you can pay a little bit more for one that is furnished. You tell me, what does that mean? It means that the apartment or the house already has what? 
furniture. It already has everything inside it that you're going to need to have a comfortable, successful life. And God says, listen, if you want to have your good works, you want to be ready for that. You want everything that you need for that. Here's where it starts. It starts by learning to delight yourself in the Bible. It starts by learning to study the Bible. It starts by learning to know how to divide and understand God's scripture. You have to have an absolute personal commitment to scripture. That's where spiritual success begins for Joshua, and that's where it will begin for you. Does that describe your life? Some of you are sitting here, and you know what you're thinking? This guy has got to be kidding me. Do you know how many times I have heard in the last eight months that I should read my Bible? Hey, listen to me for a second. I'm not asking if you read your Bible. I'm asking if you love your Bible. I'm not concerned nearly as much if you're having your devotions as I am if you're devoted to the Word of God. Listen to me. 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, four hours a day of your reading God's power will not make your life powerful. You have got to be absolutely committed to basing your life on Scripture. Are you? Are you? This probably won't blow your mind. It's not a great change, but I have to wonder if that describes your life. Anybody who knows Jesse knows that I am all for questions. Man, I'm all for curiosity. I'm a curious person. I'm all for honest inquiry. The truth is never afraid of questions. And I honestly have found that where questions abound, truth is most often found. Is when you're curious and is when you're seeking that you find truth in your life. But let me tell you something. If some of you spent half as much time reading the Bible as you do reading people's blogs, you'd be so much more stable in your beliefs. You'd have so much more clarity in what God's trying to do in your life. You'd absolutely know where God is taking you because he gives that direction in his scripture, and that's where spiritual success begins. Some of you have sat through a year of Bible college, and you have no idea what God has for your life still. Why? Is it because it's some secret that God's hiding from you? Or is it that you haven't learned the value of Scripture? And you haven't learned to be committed to the truth of the Word of God? The first component in God's formula for success is pretty simple, an absolute commitment to the Scripture. And the second one's pretty simple too, honestly. And the second component is this. You must have a personal consideration for the truth. Look with me, if you will, down at verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. The idea of meditation that this passage talks about, honestly, it's a little hard to nail down. I was, I'll get in. I was talking about this at lunch with Dr. Shetley yesterday. It's a little bit hard to nail down exactly what this means. I've heard a lot of different people say a lot of different things. Some people talk about this as the idea of an animal chewing the cud. That's what meditation is, right? There's some animals, the cow probably being the most well-known, that they eat some food, maybe some grass or whatever. They eat it, and they chew it up, and they break it down, and then they swallow it, and their body begins to digest it and begins to pull the nutrients out and send it to the muscles that need it, right? But there comes a point where that cow will bring that cud back into its mouth and chew on it again and break it down further and then swallow it for better digestion. And then he'll do it again several times. A cow, I think, has four stomachs and several animals do this and they have different stomachs and that's all great. But here's the idea. There's, there's a process that's being undergone where the nutrients that are there, the nutrients that are already inside that animal are being further broken down for better absorption into the rest of the body. This idea of meditation, I think, is really interesting because it's not enough to know Scripture if you don't apply it to your life. 
If you don't take the truth that you're getting up here, if you don't take the knowledge that you're learning and consider it and ponder it and break it down and mesh it together and try to break it and pull out the truth and put it into your life, you're not going to get any spiritual strength. And what God is telling Joshua here is, Joshua, you've got to know the law. You've got to delight in the law. You've got to spend lots of time in it. You've got to know it inside and out. You can't go this way and you can't go that way, Joshua. You just do exactly what you've been told. You do exactly what you find in Scripture. You just follow that direction. But Joshua, it's not enough just to know it. You have to meditate on it. You've got to consider it. You better work it down into your life. I've heard some people talk about meditation as being a singular focus. You take everything else and you set it aside and you put your mind, you put all your effort into focusing on one single thing. Oftentimes, meditation right now in our crazy world focuses on the idea of relaxation or rejuvenation. And the whole concept is that you pull yourself aside from the craziness of life. And maybe you play some soft music or whatever your meditation ritual is, I don't know. But you go into a room, right? And you set aside everything the boss said. And you set aside all the tasks that you have to do and all the problems you have at home. You put it all out of your mind and you bring your mind to a quiet space, a point of focus. That's an idea of meditation, maybe, that may help you consider what this really means. I heard Dr. Shetler teach on meditation recently, and here's how Dr. Shetler describes it. The process of getting biblical principles into your life. It's not enough to have it here. If it's not getting here, it won't do you any good. It won't get you anywhere. You'll have no clarity on life because it's all stuck up here. Dr. Shetler describes this process as having four parts. First, there's the knowledge aspect. This is what did God say. And then there's an understanding aspect. What is God actually revealing here? What, is, what does it mean? And then there's a personalization question. What does it mean to me? How does this affect my life? And then there's a practice. How can I act this out? And I think that's true. And you'll see all four of those pieces in any good meditation on Scripture. I can't tell you exactly how to define this word, but I can tell you this. Meditation always involves purposeful, personal attention. You hear a lot of preaching. You hear a lot of teaching. You've probably memorized more verses, some of you, this semester than you've memorized since you left the wand in the fifth grade, right? I mean, you are, you are learning all kinds of Scripture. But are you considering it? Are you working it? Are you pondering it? Are you meditating on it? This is probably the least discussed and most overlooked aspect of a personal journey to spiritual success. Your knowing the Bible does nothing if you don't make it part of your life, if you don't work it into your habits. Do you have a habit not only of reading the Bible, but of considering the Bible? Is that part of your spiritual life? Psalm chapter 1 speaks of this for sure. This is a fairly well-known passage, right? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the... And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And what does verse 3 say? What happens when he does this? And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water, which bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. All through Scripture, you'll see this idea that when you take the truth of God's Word and you break it down, you push it down, and you meditate it, and you consider it, and you work it, and you absorb it into your life, success comes, and a prosper life, prosperous life comes. And this man in Psalms, he's not finding his guidance in other people. He's finding his guidance in Scripture. But he's not just learning what the Scripture says, he's actually doing something with it in his life. This is where wisdom comes from. David, who spoke so highly of the Word of God, said this about meditation. I have more understanding than all my teachers, 
Sounds like kind of a braggadocious statement, doesn't it? Here's what David says. I know more about what life means. I know more about how life really works than all of my counselors do. I can explain life better than any of them can, and here's why. For thy testimonies are my meditation. When you take Scripture and you begin to put it into your life and build a lens of life that filters through Scripture, life starts to make a whole lot more sense. You'll have so much greater clarity. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word, if you'll just make it part of your life, will take you to amazing places. David said, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. My hands also will I lift up to thy commandments, which I have loved. I will meditate in thy statutes. Oh, how I love the law. But that verse goes on to say, it is my meditation all the day. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise thee, my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. And listen, just like you must develop a habit of studying scripture, you have to develop a habit of absorbing that scripture into your life or it won't do you any good. It's like someone who takes a bite of steak. I got to have a nice steak yesterday. It's like someone who takes a bite of steak and chews it up and really enjoys it and then spits it back out. Your body won't benefit from that. It might taste good for a moment, but there's no value to you in that. Listen, if you take the word of God and you chew on it for a little bit and then spit it back out, there's no value to you in that. It won't get you anywhere. When you go to exercise, when you go to work out, you won't have any strength because there's no nourishment in your body because you didn't do the work of getting it down in there. You never got the truth from your head to your heart. You never started to actually apply what you were learning. You have to have an absolute commitment to Scripture, yes, but you also have to take some time and build a habit of personally considering that truth. George Mueller was a great man who lived in the 1800s, and he had a burden for orphans. You know this story. And he started an orphan. He started an orphanage. He started in his own home, refitting his home to bring girls into his home to care for them. And in fact, George Mueller never once asked for money. He never once raised funds. He just trusted God. In fact, if you read some of what George Mueller said, part of why he started the orphanage was specifically to put God on the spot to know who God is and to force God to show himself. That's part of why he did what he did. And George Mueller had all these orphanages to run. He had all this administration to do. He carried the day-to-day burdens of a lot of ministry. And this isn't what George Mueller said. He, saw, he said, I solved the most important task that I had to do was to give myself to the reading of God, reading, excuse me, of the word of God, and to meditation on it. What is the food of the inner man but the word of God? And not simply the reading of the word of God, so that it only passes through our minds as water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it, applying it to our hearts. Do you do that? Look, reading your Bible this morning is really great, and I'm not here to pick on devotions. I'm not picking on a devotional habit. I'm picking on a student. I'm picking on a habit that we can all form where we take this book right here and we read a couple verses and then we walk away and go, God, what's going on in my life? God, how come I'm not seeing the success? How come you're failing me here? It's not God. It's that we haven't done the work to actually build into our lives the truth that we learned. We're not actually acting out on what God has taught us. Do you have that habit? God's formula for success begins with an absolute commitment to Scripture, and then it goes into a personal consideration of truth, but the third and final component is equally important, and this is where we get to the heart of today's message. Everything to this point has been set up, right? This is where we get to the heart of today's message. There must come a consequential act of faith. 
Look back at verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Why? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Everything up to this point has been offstage preparation for an onstage performance. And when I say performance, you know what I mean. I don't mean some hypocritical act. I mean there comes a time when you realize that God's commands are always commands of action. Verse 2 of this passage says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore what? Arise, go. There's going to come a moment in your life where God's plan for your life is going to require some crazy action. It's going to require you to step out in faith and actually do something. You want to know why? Because results come from activities. You will never, listen, you might be the greatest Bible scholar in this student body, and you might be the greatest Bible scholar in your church someday, but until you take the truth of the Word of God and do something with it, you will accomplish nothing. Nothing. God can do nothing through a servant who refuses to act. Everything that God had told Joshua came down to so that you can actually do what you need to do. So that you can actually act out everything that I've brought to you, everything that I've planned for you, everything that I have for you. This is what James talks about in James chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Get this now, deceiving your own selves. Sometimes we fall into the trap as Christians that because we know a little bit about God, because we know a little bit about God's word, that God's happy with us. It's not the point. It's not the point at all. God wants you. He wants you to do something. He wants you to accomplish something. That's why he put a calling on your life. He wants you to accomplish something for him. God's commands are always going to lead you to action. The whole purpose of preparation is production. That's the whole point. Whatever God's called you to, you're going to have to do it. You know what that means? If God's called you to plant a church, sitting around here and talking about it and arguing about what it's going to look like won't save a single person. You need to finish your studies Go work at a church somewhere for some time. That's what God's called you to do. And then you know what you need to do? Leave. And go to a city that doesn't have a church. And knock on some doors. And share the gospel. And lead some people to God. And invest in their life. And do the hard work of ministry. If God's called you to plant a church, then plant a church. If God's called you to be a pastor, don't you graduate from here and go back and go on staff at a church somewhere for the rest of your life. You go somewhere and you learn and you prepare if God puts that on your heart. You do that. That's great. That's why you're here. You're getting ready for it. But then there needs to come a time when you leave that church and you go find the flock to whom God has gifted you and you go lead them and you go provide for them and you go preach the word to them and you go reprove and rebuke and exhort them with all long suffering and doctrine and you go do what God has called you to do. If God's put a call in your life to be a coach or a teacher. Don't go home and work at Chick-fil-A. Do what God's called you to do. Don't you find your purpose in handing out a chicken sandwich. You find a classroom. You find a Sunday school class. You find a basketball team that God has called you to, that God has put together for your life, and you do something for him. All of God's will comes down to a point of action. 
All of your preparation is going to come to a point where you must do what he's called you to do. And you're looking at me and you're saying, Jesse, I know this. I'm not an idiot. What are you so upset about? Here's what I'm upset about. It's scary. It's scary sometimes. Three times in this passage, God looks at Joshua and you know what he says? Be a man. Be strong, Joshua. Buck up, buddy. Look at verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous. Drop down to verse 9. Halfway through, the scripture says, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. This word dismayed, I've looked at it, and it's really interesting. You know what it means? To shatter to pieces. Joshua was not surprised that God had a plan on his life. Joshua was not surprised that Moses was going to die. Joshua was not surprised that God was going to expect him to lead the people across the Jordan. But when push came to shove and time came for Joshua to arise and go, he was falling apart. And it's easy to pick on Joshua. And it's easy to say, what's your deal, man? We know what happens in Jericho. We know what God's going to do. We know that God's going to spend bees in front of you and all kinds of crazy stuff to help you fulfill his calling on your life. God's got your back. What are you so afraid of? And students, I've got to ask you a question this morning. God's got your back. What are you so afraid of? Man, some of you, you know beyond any shadow of any doubt that the relationship you're in is not what God has for your life. And it's not that she's a bad girl, and it's not that he's a bad guy, it's that you just know it's not what God has for you, but you don't want to let her go, and you don't want to let him go. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God's plan for your life and your spiritual success and God's calling on your life is bigger than her. Let her go. It'll be okay. I promise it will. It's scary. But all of your preparation is going to come down to a point of action. And when that happens... That's where you will win or lose your battle. When the scary times comes, you have a choice. You can fall apart, or you can fall to your knees. You can fall apart, or you can fall to your knees. There will come times in your life where every emotion in your body is telling you that God is nuts, and God is crazy, and God's wrong, and God doesn't understand. And God will just give you more time. And I'm here to tell you that's not how God works. You have to act in faith and obedience to the call that he's put on your life. Sometimes it leads Old Testament characters, and it's, again, it's easy to pick on them. Why are they so afraid, man? We know what God's going to do. Turn with me, if you will, quickly. Save your spot here, but turn with me, if you will, quickly to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith where God's listing all these people who did amazing things because of faith in him and his plan for their life. We'll pick up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, talking about Moses for sake of time. By faith, Moses, when he was come the years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. He remembered what really mattered. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." Through faith he kept the Passover. Through faith he kept the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do or drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Pause. Moses didn't see the walls of Jericho fall down. We're not talking about Moses anymore. Who are we talking about here? 
Joshua. You know what the Bible says? The walls of Jericho fell because Joshua had faith. There came a moment where Joshua was scared and he yielded to God anyway. He did what God wanted anyway. And because of that, the walls of Jericho fell. And we can continue reading and see all these amazing things that happened through faith. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith they subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women who received their dead, raised to life again. Isn't this awesome? When you act in faith, God does something amazing. What's it going on to say? And others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. They had an option, and they said no. Why? That they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. Listen now. They were stoned. They were cut in half. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Hear what to say. The exact same faith that led Noah to build an ark though he had never seen rain and God used to save the world led some people to death in torture. The exact same faith that led Abram to leave his home and go to a city that he knew not what, but he was looking for a city, a new city, whose building and foundation was God. That, that faith that led Abram to do that led some to die to be cut in half, to perish at the edge of the sword. It led some to wander about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. It is the exact same faith in God's plan that led to radically different ends. But look at the next phrase in this chapter. Of whom the world was not worthy. What is your measuring rod of value? What is your measuring rod of success? Man, God, if you'll use me to save the world, I'm in. If you'll use me to start a new nation, God, I'm in. Oh, oh, you might want me to go to a country where I might like get hurt? I don't know about that, God. I don't know about that. That seems a little scary. God, you want me to lead all these people to cross this river and go conquer a bunch of people? You want me to do that? I don't know about that, God. That seems a little too much. That seems a little crazy to me. It is in that moment when your faith will hold or you will fall apart. God promises Joshua good success. God promises Joshua that he's going to prosper. And the key to this is found in the first phrase of verse 9 of Joshua chapter 1. Flip back. God knows that Joshua's afraid. God knows that he has a plan for his life. God knows that he's promised to go with him. God's already told him to be completely and absolutely committed to Scripture. God's already told him to have a personal consideration of that truth and what it means to his life. And here's what God says now. Have not what? I 
commanded thee? Hey, Joshua, you know what this boils down to? I'm God. Remember me? The God who brought you out of slavery? Remember me, the God that you were so strongly trusting in when you were sent to spy on Canaan? Remember that? That's me. That's me, Joshua. I'm the same God. Hey, hey, Joshua, do you remember when I brought you water out of a rock in Horeb? Yeah, that was me. Hey, Joshua, do you remember how I caused you to feed the Amalekites and to completely wipe them off the face of the earth? And the only reason you remember them is because I made sure that Moses reminded you that's how utterly strong I am and how utterly destroyed they were. Do you remember that? That was me. And I'm the one telling you to go. Students, I know it's scary. Three seniors have shared stories with me in the last three weeks of how scared they are about what God's called them to do. Prissy Torres in Lead Up to Youth Conference, we were just talking to them about her testimony. Here's what she said. I remember the time as a senior when I was sitting in a youth conference and I knew beyond any shadow of any doubt that God was calling me into vocational full-time ministry. And I was terrified. I was clinging to the pew in front of me. How many of you heard this? I was clinging to the pew in front of me harder than I ever had because I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do what God was telling me to do. It was scary. I thought God was wrong. God can't use me. And I was clinging to that pew. But there came a moment in Priscilla Torres' life where she said, fine, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And she came forward and she surrendered to God. And she came to West Coast Baptist College. And she's been trained and she's been prepared. And this fall, she'll be in a classroom in Minnesota teaching people about God and helping students discover truth. Why? Because when it was scary and when it was overwhelming, she went anyway. Another student was in my office this past week. A friend of mine, here's what he said. You know I'm starting to realize? <laughs> when I leave, Dr. Getch doesn't come with me. <laughs> hey, surprise. Dr. Getch doesn't go with you, okay? If you're, if you're expecting that now, it's not going to happen. And he was realizing, oh, the responsibility here, it's coming to me. God's putting this mantle on my shoulders. And it's scary. And you know what I told him? Get committed to Scripture. Learn how to build it into your life and how to work it down into your heart. And then do whatever God's telling you to do because he's going to lead you to success. He's not going to lead you to failure. Listen to me. Spiritual success is a predictable outcome. There is no question this morning of whether or not God will lead you to success in your calling. The only question this morning is, are you going to do it your way or his? That's it. You'll have success if you just remember the command is from Jehovah God. The exact same God who Joshua was told to trust in is the same God that we are told to trust in. And I can't tell you where your faith will take you, but I can tell you you'll be successful. I can promise you you will be successful if you just stay committed to Scripture. If you build a habit of considering the truth that you're learning. And then you learn to act out whatever God has brought you to in faith. That other senior, here's what he said to me. I know what God wants. I don't have any doubt. And I'm going to do it. But honestly, I've got some friends I'm pretty close to 
And I'd rather have their calling. They get to live near family. They get to be part of a church they've been a part of their whole life. They get to do work every day that, frankly, it's their passion in life. Me? God's taken me to a state that I've never been to. To work at a church that I don't really know. For a pastor that I've barely met. And I'm going to do it. But I kind of wish I had that calling. Reminds me of Peter. And we had this conversation, actually. Reminds me of Peter. God says to Peter, hey, Peter, there's going to come a time in your life where people are going to take you places you don't want to go. And it's not going to be your preference. That's going to happen. Remember Peter's response? Hey, God, what about John? What are you, what are you going to do with him? I mean, he's my buddy. Well, I mean, come on, come on. We're all friends here. Tell me, well, tell me what's going to happen to John. And you remember what Jesus says? Peter, what is that to thee? It has nothing to do with what I'm telling you. What God does in your roommate's life has nothing to do with what God's going to do in yours. You must learn now to be committed to Scripture. You must learn now to internalize and consider that truth. And you must decide today, when the scary time comes, I'm in. I'm in. God, no matter what you want, no matter what you call me to, I'm in. I leave you with this. There were three tribes that decided that being just east of the Jordan was good enough for them. They got really close, but they didn't make it. Will that be you? You're in Bible college. Man, you've given God a year. You've tried this thing. You've grown as a Christian. You're doing better than you were a year ago. And that's good enough for you. Is that your story? Here's the most interesting thing to me about that reality. God let them. He said, fine. You want to stay over there? Fine. You stay over there. Now, you're going to help us conquer. You're going to, you're, you're going to be part of this team. But your inheritance? Eh, you can just stay over there. And they missed what God actually had for them. Because they settled. They were content with good enough. Hey, it was a whole lot better than Egypt. It's a whole lot better than it used to be. We're good here. I'm not here to try to talk you into staying next year if you're one of your Bible student. That is not my goal. If you're wondering about whether or not you should come back, which 47 of you told us this week that you are, listen, I'm not here to tell you you've got to be back here or you're out of God's will. I don't know what God's will for your life is. I've got no idea. I wish I did. I would charge $10 a head. You can come into my office. I'd make a lot of money. Wouldn't that be nice? I think we'd all be happy. I have no idea what God wants for your life. But here's what I do know. It might be scary. You might not see how it's going to work. You might be tempted to quit. You might be tempted to compromise. And what you need to remember is that success in the Christian life is not a question. It's a promise. The only question is, are you going to trust God and act out what he's shown you. Spiritual success is a predictable outcome. Will you be successful?